Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. I have an awesome guest here and a good friend. His name is Anthony Pinto. What's going on, man? Hey, brother. How you doing? Doing great. Good. Good to be on here today. It's great to be on here with you, man, and awesome, man. You've been motivating the heck out of me for a while. I've been watching you grow here in the Hampton Roads area, but uh, but phenomenal guy. For those of you who don't know, Anthony is in the Navy currently. He's a submariner, and he's an officer. So, uh, Anthony, you want to tell us a little bit about your uh, military background and how you got started investing? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I'm an academy grad, uh, class of 14, you know, the, the Ooh, best class team. ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I just passed my five-year point. Um, picked submarines, obviously. Um, it's actually a, a funny story how I picked submarines. Uh, <laughs> when I uh, got to be a plebe, my mom asked me uh, what I wanted to pick and what I wanted to do, service select, you know, four years down the line. I was like, oh, I don't really know, but one thing I didn't want to do is submarines. And you know, mm, here I am, four you years, you know, nine years later at this point now, <laughs> in submarines. You know, the longest time I wanted to fly, but uh, flying and uh, I just didn't agree with each other actually doing it. So, dude, you know, I hear it you, happens. Man. So yeah, I picked a, you know, I picked something that's kind of like flying, which is just flying under the water. So submarines. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so went through power school prototype. Um, got stationed here in Norfolk on the uh, Albany which is a Los Angeles class. Uh, we were in the shipyard for three years or so. Mm. Uh, got out in November um, and then moved to back into the shipyard uh, to the San Francisco, which is almost exactly the same place that the Albany was uh, when Dang. I first got to it. So you know, got to love that shipyard life. <laughs> Dang, man. So you've been, the majority of your sub time, you've actually been in the shipyard. Exactly. Goodness, yep. man. Yep. Oof, why? Yeah, I had about three months stint there where we actually went underway and did some stuff, but you know, okay, shipyard furnished the whole time. Hey, man, um, it happens, dude. You know, and that's that's what it is. You know, everyone in the military is not always operational, right? There's a large maintenance cycle that goes into a lot of stuff, and some people get caught up in that. But you know, yeah. real estate's a good side hustle to have if you're doing that. So hey, yeah, exactly. You know, it, and that's, that's I try to look at the, the positive points on that. Is you know, I got yeah. to spend time with my wife all the time. You know, you I go. have duty. You know, and on those, except on those days, I get to see her every night. You know, you I have a lot more free time now than I would underway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's definitely positives to be in the shipyard, and you know, it's not all it's uh, cracked up to be. So. There you go. All right, but man. Uh, love it. Yeah. So, getting into real estate. Um, so I was let's see, this would have been summer last year, so about September, July ish, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, we were uh, winding down on our availability, um, finishing up the shipyard time, and getting ready for sea trials. And uh, I happened to be the uh, engine overhaul coordinator, which is just a fancy way of saying I was the, the liaison between the shipyard and the ship's horse. <laughs> um, you know, the, the bad guy on both sides, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that never, never could win. Uh, but anyway, so finishing up the availability, uh, it, was, it was a lot of long hours, a lot of uh, not seeing the family, a lot of, uh, um, you know, just seven-day work weeks. And it was rough. It was a, it was a pretty rough time. And, and I just kind of realized that, you know, there, there has to be something – something more to this. And, um, you know, I, I just, I don't want to spend the next 20 years of my life doing this. Um, cause I kind of got in my, in my mind, like, Hey, if I can be 
if I'm going to be in a shipyard now, you know, I'm going to be in a shipyard in this next shore tour. What's to stop them from putting me in the shipyard for the rest of my, my career? And, you know, there's guys that do that, you know, that just spend time. So it's like, no, I, I can't, I can't do this. You know what? And what really hit home for me was um, we were underway and I uh, was sent in watch back in uh, maneuvering, which is the engineering control center for, for a submarine, um, especially where everything goes on to um, power the, um, power the submarine. So electricity, uh, the main engines, all that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so it, it's pretty boring most of the time, especially underway. You just kind of sit there and watch cages sometimes move. Most of the time they don't. So you kind of, you got, you kind of find things to talk about. <clears throat> um, so, uh, one of my sailors happened to be a RC div guy. Uh, so reactor controls, he came in and, uh, we were just kind of talking about, you know, this and that. Um, and we get email occasionally, uh, you know, the few times they actually come to, to the surface yeah, and get right, comms, sure. get email. And so we got an email from his wife and, um, he's, he's starting to tell us about this and, and he's usually a really chipper guy. You know, he, he's, uh, he's, he brings a lot of motivation to the, to the engine room, you know, when there's not a lot to have. And, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of saw this transition in him and he, and he got like really sad. And I was, you know, I was like, what, what's going on? Like, what did something happen? Like, is his bike okay? And, um, he, uh, starts to tell us about, um, you know, right before he left, um, to go underway, you know, I think it ended up being like a three month availability. He had a kid. And so at that time when we left, she was two or three months, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, so he tells us like a few few days before he ends up leaving, he tries to go uh, hold his daughter, and um, he w- he had been away from home so much, you know, spent so much time at work that his daughter didn't recognize him, and she was actually scared to let him hold him. Ooh, and man. I was like, "Wow, that mm. hits home." Like you know, it, it, you know, submarines and being in the Navy, there's there's a lot of like. You know, focus on you and like, oh, this really sucks for me and this sucks for the team. And you, you, yeah. you don't really think about like, hey, this sucks for the family back home. Right. And, uh, you know, I, when I got married, I didn't really think about that too much. And then think about, you know, I wouldn't see my wife all that much. But, you know, thinking about like, you know, that could be me one day. That could be me not being able to see my family, you know, or, or my kid not being able to recognize me. And, and, and it wasn't just that guy. You know, it was, it was my WEPS, it was my department head. And, you know, I had a CO who you know, spent pretty much 30 years of his life out on submarines, you know, and, and didn't see, get to see his daughter grow up. And it's like, I can't, you know, I, I can't do that. I can't do the next 20 years of my life. So there's, there's gotta be something more. There's gotta be something I can do after the Navy. Um, and so after that underway, um, actually a few days before that, uh, I, uh, started talking to a guy named Stuart Grazier, which, oh, yeah. uh, we both know. Right. Yeah. Good friend. Stuart. Good friend. Um, you know, and, uh, how I stumbled upon him was on Facebook. I was just looking up, you know, different ways to, to, you know, have profitable habits, uh, different ways to make money, um, you know, different types of jobs that I could do that, you know, wouldn't be tested time suck. And so I stumbled upon military investor network, uh, which is his, uh, his organization there. Great guys over there. Great guys. Um, they do a lot of investing, education, uh, resources, mentorship, uh, very similar to what you guys do. Um, you know, and, and they do a great job up there. Right. And so I summoned upon a site, you know, and started talking with them. It's like, Hey, like, I don't really know a lot about investing. Like, you know, I, I have a house, but like, I, I don't know, like how you continuously buy houses and make more money off it. And so, uh, he just kind of sat down with me and we talked and we had a phone call. Um, and he recommended a couple books to me. Um, and, uh, I'll get into those in a second, but, uh, big thing is he, he introduced me to you. Uh, introduced me to uh, his really his only contact in the Norfolk area. 
Um, and so honestly, I think that the biggest reason I'm in real estate investing right now is because of you, Mike. So plug for you there. No, man. No, no, don't, don't even do that. Throw that back on you, man. You've got some crazy motivational fire. Guys, I, I don't, don't let him blow smoke. All right. <laughs> Anthony has so much motivation, so much self-motivation. I probably only talked to you about real estate maybe three times, maybe, maybe twice. Right. Hey, and, it's, quality, it's all about quality versus quantity, man. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But at the, at the same time though, man, you have just been crushing it. Anthony, how many, how many uh, units do you have right now? I have eight units right now. And he started six months ago, guys. Six yep. months ago. I don't want to hear it, okay? There's no excuse. My man can go six from, from zero to eight units in six months while active duty. Come on, man. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. That's so I guess this, that's a good transition to get into to the properties. Yeah. Um, so tell us about your first deal. How did that go? Yeah. So uh, first uh, investment deal um, was a quadplex here in Portsmouth. Um, how I got into that is, uh, like I said, I got in Stewart. Uh, he put me on the bigger pockets. Bigger pockets basically like blew my mind of uh, all the different resources I had available, networking, right. forums, webinars, you know, podcasts. There's just, there's just so much information available. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, frankly, I was a little, I was a little overwhelmed at the amount of information there was as a first-time investor. You know, I, I didn't know how to do a, you know, a flip. I didn't know if I wanted to do single-family homes and multifamily homes. And um, you know, what really kind of cement that for me was um, I found a bigger pockets a, a local meetup uh, through who my now realtor is, uh, Melanie McDaniel. And uh, she has one of the few meetups in the area that's on bigger pockets. And I was like, you know, and I've never been to a group before. You know, this could be fun. Um, and so, it, you know, looking back on it now, it was kind of a big step for me because um, I, I self-identify as an introvert. You know, I, I'm not big on crowds or talking with people. You know, right. I, I'll, I'll sit and I'll read a book all day, you know. Um, and so going to a meetup where I literally knew no one and I knew nothing was it was frankly like terrifying. Yeah. And That's so I just like, you know, I, I'm never going to get anywhere if I don't, you know, step out of my comfort zone and, you know, I step into my uncomfortable zone. And, uh, you know, start, start experiencing life, start realizing about real estate investing and, and learning and, and meeting people. Mm-hmm. So I went to this meetup, uh, which was in the beginning of December. Um, so I, so time of events, got off my boat, uh, on Thanksgiving, went to this meetup a week later and that's when this all started. So we went to this meetup, uh, we started, we were talking about three different investors, you know, a whole bunch of different experience. And, uh, I was like, wow, these guys like really know what they're talking about like i like how do they think about all these different numbers and all these different factors and like how do they raise this money like you know how do they how do they meet all these investors like how do they get lending for all this i was like it's like i i don't i don't know like how to do any of that and you know it's like i was so glad that i was able to go to that meetup and, and talk to these people and hear their stories and so afterwards uh i talked to melanie who was the a host of that event uh we sat down for coffee and uh you know, I started talking to her like, hey, like I need a realtor. Like I don't really have a team built. I've never done this before. You know, it's from an investment point. So she was like, you know, basically I got you. Like, I, I got I got everything you need. You know, and then from that point, on, I was like, I'm in good hands. You know, and and I, I think that's really key to getting started is knowing the right people to put on your team. That's true. You know, that, that right person can set you up with everyone you need. So you know, true. you know. And I did my first deal with her in January and we're still talking. We still meet up all the time. We still go to events. 
she still gives me links to like insurance agents, uh, to lenders, to contractors. Like I literally can just ask her for anything and she'll just like, if it has to do with real estate, she knows it. Right. And so those, those people, those experts in the field are pretty hard to find, but if you can find them, you definitely need to stick with them because they will push you, they will push you far in, in life and in business and, you know, and really any venture that you get into. That's right. so true, man. So true. The important team is crucial. And we stress that all the time, you know, and then not only that, but also having folks, you know, in your network as well, because you never know when things can go sour with that teammate or, or maybe things go sour, sour with a referral that they gave you. And now you need to have, you know, something else on tap, right? So having that network, having that team that really helps you keep moving forward. I love it. Right. Yeah. And like you said, like, you know, having a great team, you know, that's just as important as having a bad team, right? You could have, you know, you could have the greatest person, you know, drill it or lender, everything mm-hmm. set up perfectly, but if you have the wrong property manager, you have the wrong insurance agent, you have the wrong contractor. And now, you know, the whole thing is falling apart. Now it's a, you know, your dream goes to a nightmare, right? And, you know, I, I kind of got into that a little bit and I'll talk about it here in one of my properties. Um, but going back to Melanie, so uh, yeah, so we started looking at houses, um, and she was like, you know, okay, what what do you want to do? And uh, so I got into Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was underway, and I started reading Set for Life by Scott Trench, and they really put me on to this idea of house hacking, um, which if you if your listeners never heard of it, which I'm sure they have, because you guys preach it all the time. Yep. Um, you know, house hacking is is basically living in a house uh, and renting out the other units so that your mortgage is paid for, and you essentially live for free. Right. Um, and so that, you know, that sounded perfect to me, you know, um, you know, I got the, I got to live in a unit, you know, it might've been smaller. You might have to share, you know, a common space or a laundromat, you know, but that was fine. you know, as long as I get to have my mortgage paid for it. And so it's like, you know, you know, what's the best property for that? It's like, Oh, I could do a duplex. I could do a triplex, but why settle for two or three units? We could do four units. You could do a quad. So, you know, I I went big, you know, I went big. Yeah. I could have gone home, but I went big. And so I started looking for quadplexes, which surprisingly are hard to find, um, you know, at least on, on the market. Um, and it really just depends on your specific market. Like, um, like North Carolina, for example, it's just not a lot of small multifamily, but it happens to be huge in this area for some reason. You'll just see whole streets of triplexes or quadplexes. Um, and so we started looking around, uh, and there weren't really a lot of good deals on the market. Uh, for quads um so it not only that but finding a quad in a neighborhood that my wife was comfortable with living in that was the key you know right. I, I could i could do all the background research the numbers could be great but if my wife didn't want to live there and we had to move two months later so you know true, it would have man. all been for not right so and that was the other thing is you know i i only do i want to a house act but i want to use my ba loan right and the only really way we could do that is if it was owner occupied with the intent to live or occupy it right and so we uh, we were coming up on about a year left, so I wanted to get into this this quad as as quickly as possible, so we could you know not butt up at the year as much as possible. So eventually, we uh, stumbled upon this place in Portsmouth, uh, which is in uh, it's actually an old town Portsmouth, which is the historic part of Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we we looked at the front of it and just fell in love right away with it. It's like uh, it used to be a, a 1900s built um, old mansion that got split into four different units. Um, and you can definitely tell just kind of looking around the uh, different quirks that this place has. Yep. Uh, got some know. brick there on your, over your right shoulder. Yeah. And some yeah. Uh, on your left. 
Oh yeah, brick, the wooden counter, the cabinets, yeah, this old, the cabinets. old countertops. You know, it's you know, we just kind of looked around and realized, like, hey, there's so much potential here. There's so much we could do with this place. Mm-hmm. You know, we could you know change the carpet, which was like this ugly green uh, color, mm-hmm. and you know put in new carpet or put in new LVP or vinyl. You know, or something. There's just right. there's little things here and there that we could improve. Um, and uh, so yeah, so we went with the deal. Uh, we put in the offer for it. Originally, it was set for three fifty. <clears throat> which I was like, wow, that's way too high. There's no way that anyone could get the amount of rent in this area for 350. Exactly. Right. And so, uh, so I ran my numbers, which, you know, that that's another thing, especially when you're getting started is understanding how to run the numbers, understanding how to underwrite. Um, and if you have a a great realtor who can help you through all that, you know, that that's great. Um, but really you should, you should build that skill for yourself and understand how to run your own numbers. Right, because everyone's tolerance is 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 different, right? How much money you make want to make on a property is completely so different per person, right? So you know how much risk you want to uh, you want to take on. That's that's huge, right? So learning that skill to to underwrite your own deals and understand how the numbers work, and you know being conservative. I think being conservative is is huge, especially if you you know you don't have a lot of experience. You've never really done this before. Is being conservative is, is great. So, right. so I remember my numbers found out that two ninety was the was the best place to, to start. And, you know, and I gave myself a little buffer, like, hey, you got to you got to haggle a little bit. You got to you know you got to draw right. them in on the line to feel like they're getting a good deal, right? So we started with two ninety, and uh, they countered with three twenty five. Okay. I was like, that's still too high. It's like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll meet them kind of halfway. We went to three ten. And that was pretty much like at the max I could get to, right. uh, you know, make the amount of cash flow that I wanted. And so, uh, and they were like, "Now nah, we're going to stick with 325. And they're like, I ah, like, you know, I don't know what they're thinking. Like this property had been in the market for, I think about two years at this point. They had been vacant for that, that those two years. Uh, so no one was living here. Right. Um, and so there was just debt service. I was just eating, eating them up. It's like, yeah. yeah. You know, they, they have to understand like, you know, that mm. they're not going to sell that for 325. Mm. And so, uh, so we're like, nah, that's fine. You know, well, you know, we'll walk away. There are better deals to be had. You know, I didn't want to get emotional about it. Um, and, and that's one thing I learned from my, from my first property. Uh, when I first moved here, my primary residence in Virginia Beach is I, I got emotional about it. You know, the, the property had been on the market for two days. Like I saw the price. It's like, ah, this price, you know, like it's just, it seems like it should be lower, yeah. but we went with it anyways. Cause there's already other offers on the table. And it's like, you know, it was just too good of an opportunity at the time that I thought too good. So to that, so that was your first deal. Then you bought, you bought uh, a property out in Virginia beach. Yeah. Yeah. That was my primary residence about back in 2016. Got yeah. it. Okay. That was way before I knew anything about investing. Got it. Or okay. like, what is I been doing? Right? Okay. And so, you're, and you're, uh, and so your first property was single family. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. single family home. Got it. All right. Hey, man. So it happens, dude. You know what? And and this is what it is, right? But now you you learn better. You knew better. So boom, here you go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we walked away from that deal, um, and uh, my wife and I were going back and forth. It's like, ah, there's just there's just not a lot of deals out there. Like, what if we made the wrong mistake? Like, what if this was our home? And so I toiled with the idea of like, you know, maybe I should like write a letter to the owner. Like maybe if I could connect like on a personal level, we could kind of figure this out, you know, rather than having this broker, that's really these two realtors in between us. Right. So I went back and forth on it. And right when I was kind of settling on if I was going to do it or not, my realtor reached out to me. He's like, Hey, like they want back in, they're going to consider your offer. Oh. I was like, okay, great. Wow. Like all the fates aligned, you know, all we had to do was wait, wait a month or uh, sorry, wait a week. And you know, they were, they were back at the table. And, uh, 
So I was like, wow, that's a, that's a lucky break. You know, I'm glad that we, that we stuck through to our guns and, and stuck with it. There it is, man. I so, mean, you gave them an offer, right? So it's not yep. like, not like you didn't give them an offer. It was honestly whether or not they really wanted to sell. And I mean, you can kind of think of it the same way. It's been on the market for two years, right? Yep. Nobody wanted it or no one was yep. willing to give them anything close to what they were looking for. So yeah, bro, that was good. Well exactly. done. Exactly. So, uh, so we settled on uh, 310. Um, we put that under contract in mid-December, so about two weeks after meeting Melanie. Mm-hmm. Um, did the due diligence, uh, got through all that. Came to be the um, like 14th of January, I think, and we were supposed to close the next week. Okay. And um, the VA appraiser, which uh, you know, typically you have an appraiser that comes up for the, for the uh, bank, and they'd be like, hey, this is what we think it's supposed to be. The thing with VA appraisers are, you know, it's, it's government money. So they're going to be a little, a little more stringent than a typical appraiser. Right. And they're notorious for it. Yep. You know, if you have a, a broken closet door or a window that doesn't close all the way, it, those are the types of things that they're, you know, they're finding. Right. And, and it makes sense why, right? You're, you're, you're yeah. trying to use your VA loan to buy a house that you're going to live and, in. And right? they're protecting and make sure you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the VA appraiser, you know, was due, you know, two days goes by, three days goes by, and he still hasn't gotten his appraisal. You know, the closing date goes by, and now it's a whole week later after closing, and this oh, guy yeah. finally gets back to us the day before we had reset our closing date. Well, it turns out that he thought that the property value was uh, was two eighty seven, almost two hundred twenty five thousand dollars less than what oh, our agreed upon wow. price was. And I was like, oh my gosh, like. It, that was great. But at the same time, it was bad because I was like, the VA is only going to play for what the VA appraisal is. You know, how am I going to come up with the rest of these $23,000 to cover the cost of this place? You know, I was racking my brain like, you know, maybe I could take out a loan. And I even talked, I remember talking to you about this. Yeah, and maybe I could do a seller finance, you know, That's for right. that extra chunk of money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, right when I was putting this all to my realtor, the, the uh, owners came back and was like, hey, you know, we'll do 287 as long as you pay closing costs. I was like, wow, oh, that sounds like a, an awesome deal. All right. There you go. Yeah. You know, I'll put, you know, I'll put uh, five, six, seven thousand dollars extra money on the table, you know, for closing. If I can get it to extra $23,000 off now, that's, that's great. You know, that's, that's yeah. money in my pocket over the next 30 years. And I don't, don't awesome. not having to take that loan out of that. Right. That is awesome. So, uh, so that, that, uh, that was a little bit of a scramble. Um, yep. I got that news on a Monday and I was at work. Um, and the closing was the next day. So I spent, you know, pretty much like four hours at work trying to call different people. We we're scrounging money together, put, pulling it from all these different accounts, trying to get it to send over the wire to the lawyer. Long story short, we ended up making it work. But uh, yeah, it was a stressful few hours. That's crazy. So, uh, yep. Ended up uh, closing on that place end of January, I think January 28th. Okay. And uh, we moved in a few mo- a few weeks later after that. Um, and uh yeah, the rest of the kind of history with that place. Um, but uh, it took us a while to, to kind of realize that, um, you know, going from a 22,000 square foot, you know, four bedroom, two bathroom place to one bedroom or studio, actually studio apartment with uh, one bathroom with, you know, 1,100 square feet. Just That's a heck of a downsize, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, heck yeah of a definitely downsize. was. Definitely but was. You, know what, but though, you guys are young, right? No kids, right? So, exactly. Boom. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, now it's you know, time to do it. Yeah, and you know, and it was actually a blessing in disguise because uh, we were ended up Airbnb being one of the units, and um, basically we took 
it, my wife and I, when she moved in with me after we got married, we basically had two households worth of stuff. Mm. So we had two beds, we had two couches, we had a like whole uh, living room set. Right. So right. we basically took all the extra stuff, put it in the Airbnb. Nice. So I think besides paying for kitchen stuff, we maybe spent like $300 total on linens and like towels and stuff for that Airbnb to, to furnish it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Oh, great. Dope. Yeah. Just a, just the return on that alone, off of the three hundred dollars that we yeah. Yeah, that we initially put in, has been phenomenal. Bro, that is um, awesome, man. That is so awesome. I mean, I'm telling you, man. Like, just the tenacity right there. So you go from downsizing into your four unit. You're taking all the you know extra furniture that you got, the creativity. You're gonna Airbnb one of the units. You're gonna house hack the other the other two. Like, that's awesome, man. And now you guys are living in the smaller one, bro. That's great. That's yep. that's phenomenal. Yep. Yeah. Love the creativity. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Um, so one thing I, I kind of wish I had uh, learned about, or at least utilized before we bought this property is the, uh, the rehab uh, VA loan. Um, oh yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. We, um, we kind of knew we had some rehab to do on it, but uh, we didn't realize the extent of the rehab, which right. we started doing it. Um, you know, a 120 year old house, uh, when you start actually living in it after two years and not living in it, you know, mm -hmm. things start to pop up that you didn't realize. Yeah. I was just going to ask too, like what were some of your challenges that you guys faced throughout this process? And, but I mean, so rehab. Okay. Like what yeah. things needed to be rehabbed that you guys saw? Um, so carpet was big. Uh, we did some repainting, you know, some co cosmetic stuff there. Um, we redid the flooring in the kitchen, completely tore up the bathrooms and redid those. So new toilets, new vanities. Right. Uh, we didn't redo the, the shower, but we put in, um, you know, we cleaned it up, regrouted it in some place that need to be cleaned up. Um, and then, uh, we pretty much left the kitchens as they were. Um, they kind of looked a lot like this kind of old looking. Right. And it's like, uh, you know, it, it might add to the, to the kind of historic old timey look to the house. Okay. You know, the, the outside of it definitely, Definitely looks old. Definitely looks 120 years old. Right. Okay. So, cool. so there are things like that. But, uh, you know, at my house, and, and, and my dad taught me this a long time ago, you, doing regular maintenance on your appliances, um, you know, HVAC, water heaters, you know, making sure that your, your, your refrigerator gets cleaned out every so often, stuff like that, like that will maintain the longevity of these appliances right. and, and ultimately cut down on maintenance and repairs, right? Mm -hmm. So I decided, Hey, well, it'd be a good idea to, uh, flush all the water heaters, you know, you know, after sitting idle for two, two years, you know, there's gotta be some, a lot of crap in there that is probably not good to be in our water. Probably. So, huh? uh, so each unit has its own water heater. Uh, they're in the kitchen. And, um, so I did that. I flushed them all out. Well, um, turns out that, uh, if you flush water heaters that haven't been flushed in two years, um, a lot of that sediment sits on leaks that uh, have developed in the bottom of the water heater oh no so i uh, found that out the hard way uh when my floor started um uh crumbling underneath the water heater so it's a good way to put it Ooh. and uh, yeah so I had to replace two water heaters uh the other two thankfully are functional and working okay um so learned a lot about water heaters learned a lot about uh, the electricity behind a lot of water heaters because uh not only did I have to replace the water heater, I had to upgrade the electrical for the water heater because, you know, it, it was a hundred, it was a 25 year old water heater. Yeah, right. So that was fun. That, that was great. Uh, had a, had a few floods in the kitchen from, uh, Ooh. you know, the water heater, not, not fully, fully leak or draining out all the way. 
So, and those things are heavy. Let me tell you. Oh my gosh, those things are heavy. Trying to get them up and downstairs. Ooh, that was not fun. Not fun at all. Oh, jeez, uh, man. Wow. Yeah, but we got through it. You know, it's you know five hundred dollars here and there. Um, but you know, the five hundred dollars ends up adding up quick when you only budgeted for you know four that four or five thousand dollars. You know, for rehab. That's very true. So, um, yep. So flooring, water heaters. Um, after a few months, we kind of realized that uh, the two upstairs units, which are long-term units, um, once we actually got them ready, there just like wasn't a lot of traffic coming in, and, and you know, trying to find people to rent. It's like, how did you, know you guys? What? How did you guys list it? Uh, so we use a property management company, okay. uh, and it's uh, their affiliation of Remax. So, so they, even uh, though you guys lived in the property, you used a property manager. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to touch on a little bit about why you chose to do that? Yeah, sure. Um, so like I said, we're going to Japan in December. So, and we didn't really have a lot of experience with self-managing, um, you know, properties in general, dealing with tenants. Like, um, you know, I, I kind of dealt with a lot of repairs and stuff in my old house. So I, I was, I knew how to deal a lot of that stuff. It was pretty handy, but dealing with tenants, finding tenants, dealing with rent, all that was just something, it was just something I wasn't, you know, used to right, um, or familiar right. with. You know, and, exactly. and I was telling myself, like, I could spend time and money and, and life and, you know, life years just trying to figure this whole thing out, or I could hire someone to do it. You know, I could hire someone that could come in that knows exactly what to do, that love has it. the time each and every day to spend doing this. I love it. And so, you know, that, you know, the cost, the 10% cost kind of made it worth it to me um, to pay someone to, to do the marketing, to find the tenants, to deal with the problems, to find the repairs that need to be done. All those things that I just don't want to have to do. That's and you know, so and cool. I can't, and I can't do when I go to Japan. Right. But you know what though? You trust in that team that you built, right? Like we were talking about before you trust that you built them out. Right. And then you let people, you back up, you let people do their job, right? Easy day. And that exactly. 10% is worth that peace of mind. So yeah, man, no brainer. No exactly. brainer. And do they help take care of your Airbnb as well? Or do you manage the Airbnb yourself? So I do the Airbnb myself right now. Um, and, uh, th there's, we've had some issues with the Airbnb and we're probably going to stop doing that relatively soon. Oh, wow. Okay. And we're going to, we're going to shift into travel nursing. So, um, okay. if, if you're not familiar with this area, Norfolk, especially like downtown Norfolk and Portsmouth area has a ton of hospitals in the area within like a five mile radius of our house. We have, five different hospitals, most of okay. them downtown. Nice. Right. So, you know, I started looking into it more and more and there's travel nursing websites you can use. It's uh furnishfinders.com is one that we use. So there's, uh, there's constantly an influx of people that, you know, want to rent a furnished place for two, three months at a time. So briefly tell us about this travel nursing thing. Just give us like an overall synopsis. Cause I don't think a lot of people understand what this is. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so my wife is in the Navy. She's a Navy nurse. She works over here at Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. And um, so what she does as, as nursing is she is essentially a salaried worker, right? She works for the hospital. She works in oncology specifically. That is her job. So when right. her days off, she doesn't do that. And when her days on, she doesn't do that. Okay. Well, sometimes uh, hospitals have a shortage of nurses or talented people that they can draw upon to do you know, emergency room services, uh, labor and delivery, all these different departments. Um, and sometimes you don't, you always don't have, you know, people you can draw on from like across the, the country, like the Navy does, right? You know, you have a shortage of emergency room uh, doctors or nurses. You call, you know, this department over here, you know, at uh, Fort Belvoir, for example, and you can call, you know, 
to pull those people and, and TAD them down here, right? But civilian hospitals, that's not always an option, right? Sometimes you need to have that transient type of job. Like, hey, you know, let's say like it's the summertime and you know a lot of people are going to be coming here because it's tourist season. And you know that you're going to have a high influx of people that are going to be hurt or need emergency services, right? Right. So you know that during that time, you're going to need 10 nurses instead of five nurses, right? But you don't want to hire someone for that full amount of time. So what a lot of companies do, and there are companies specifically oriented that uh, advertise for travel nursing, um, they they tell these people, hey, like, we got these many people, they do this, and then they say, hey, like, we're going to set these two up together. Kind of like a property manager sets up a tenant with the, the rental place, right? Um, so we'll set you up with it with this nurse and they'll come in for, you know, two, three, you know, six, six months a year and they'll do this job that you need them for. And then, you know, when they're done, their contract's done, they'll move on. That's awesome, right? man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really great deal. My, uh, it, my it wife sounds like does it. it too. Yeah. Okay. She does that from the renting perspective side or from the rental? She, like she's the a travel nurse herself. Okay. So she's a travel yeah. nurse. Dude, that, that's phenomenal. That's interesting. And there, and when you talk about the classification of short-term rentals, I mean, there's so many types of short-term, I guess, that fit that umbrella. That's actually really, really interesting. But um, and, uh, yeah, solid, man. Yeah. So one of the big reasons why I want to do travel nursing uh, versus short-term rental is like, Airbnb, yeah, it's great. It makes a lot of money. But <laughs> me having to man- personally manage it and clean it all the time and deal with like the turnover... You know, I just, I, I don't want to have to deal with that all the time. You know, I can yeah, pay someone else. Yeah, that. that can definitely get a little bit, right, uh, tumultuous, right? I mean, you can totally have someone else do it for you, right? You can, you can um, you know, run a management service or or have, you know, a family member, friend or whatever, right, who's close by, take care of it. But yeah, it can definitely be burdensome because the turnover rate is very, very constant. But right. but right, but travel nursing gives you a good alternative. That's very interesting, man. Right. That's and I could have, and I could have my property manager that we use now also manage, uh, as well. manage them as well, right? Oh, but get out of here! Short-term rental, right? They wouldn't nice. do Airbnb, so okay. So even though, but even though that travel nurse is usually maybe a couple months, right at a time, they'll still take care of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So their issue is basically anything three months or greater, they're fine with. They're fine with doing that. God. Which is typical. You, you start off about three months when you come to a travel nursing gig. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes very sense. A lot of sense. Okay, man. Wow. So that's solid. And this is all with the first quadruplex that you got. Yep. yep. Awesome. This is all so, with their quad so let's here. talk so let's talk about the other four units, man. Like let's go brief into the other four units. What what yeah. sparked those? All right. So um I uh so I work at the shipyard here in Portsmouth, which is about you know two minute drive away from my work here from uh, the quad here. And uh, halfway through the um, the due diligence period for this quad, so about beginning of January or so, mid-January, um, I uh, have Redfin alerts that come in about multifamily properties in the area. And if, if you guys don't use it, I highly recommend it. You know, that, that stuff basically sends you a notification right when that comes on the market or right when it gets nice. posted. Nice. And so I got this alert and I was like, hey, there's a triplex in the area. It's just down the street from you in Portsmouth here. It's basically turnkey. And so I was like, yeah, like I, I wasn't really too big on turnkey. Um, I was like, but you know, I might as well run the numbers. It, it, you know, it couldn't hurt. So I ran the numbers and I was like, wow, this is like an awesome opportunity. Like I, I potentially could make even, even at the most conservative I can make it. I was making about six, $700 in cash flow and cash flow after op reserve, you know, operational reserves, all that. And so, uh, so I came in on a Monday, uh, 
went to look at it on a Tuesday afternoon after work. And by Wednesday around noon or so, we had it under contract. So in a matter of 36 hours, we had heard about the property, found a property, looked at it from the outside and had it under contract. Outstanding, man. Yep. Outstanding. Yep. See this, guys? This is what I'm talking about. Massive action. All right. Doesn't wait. He says, you know what? Hey, let's roll right into this next one. We got it. We can make this happen. It's going to cash flow for us, right? You ran the numbers. You were smart and you had good property management, right? On standby because clearly they're managing the other one. Dude, that's it, bro. You have the team. You have the opportunity. Make it happen, right? Take exactly. the action. That's it. Exactly. I love it, so, man. Yeah. So, um, lesson learned a lot, gosh, a lot of lessons learned on this place. Um, you know, first one was, uh, using a residential, uh, typical residential loan. Well, uh, for a lot of banks, you got to have that money for the down payment set aside for, you know, one or two months or three months sometimes. And so the down payment and the closing costs are going to be about 50 grand. Um, and, uh, and I knew in my head I was always going to use investors or I was going to partner up. And so it was like, you know, I, you know, the residential loan will be fine. It'll be great. It'll be 4%. You know, I won't have to worry about it. Well, it turns out I didn't have the money in the account. And, you know, I, I look like an idiot talking to my lenders like, yeah, like, yeah, I can use investors, right? Like, this is fine. Like, I'll just, you know, I'll have them borrow the money. Not turns out not. Residential loan. No. Turns out not. So, you know, there, there were some embarrassing moments there. We had to rewrite the contract for the lender and stuff like that. But uh, long story short, uh, it was a great opportunity because I ended up doing a commercial loan through a local credit union in the area, um, which, you know, they, a lot of companies don't do commercial loans for small properties like that. Right. And uh, the reason that they actually did it was because I personally guaranteed the loan. So sure. typically with commercial loans, you'll use a company and they will, lend, they will do the lending to the company itself. Right. Well, that company has to have a proven track record and a proven income stream, right, over a certain amount of time. Well, didn't have that. So, you know, it's like, it, I'll personally guarantee the loan. It's, it's just like any other residential loan anyway, you know, what's it? Right, idea? exactly. All that, all that means is, for those of you that don't understand, right, when you're personally guaranteeing the loan, that loan is under your name, right? So it's not under your bank, your uh, LLC's name or your entity's name. It's in your personal name, which means that you personally are at more risk with that property. And let's say if there's an issue that comes up, someone decides to sue you because of them breaking their ankle or whatever, right? Then they're going after you. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to steal your thunder, Anthony, but you know, did you eventually end up rolling it into an LLC or is that the yeah. plan at some point? Yep. Yep. So the loan is still in my name. Mm -hmm. I still personally guarantee it, but the deed is now in the name of our LLC. So sad. here we go. Leads into LLC. So go. I was like, man, like, I don't have a lot of time until this closing because that's another thing with commercial loans. They're a lot quicker to turn around than a residential loan. So we had closing in about a month after we had that on the contract, which usually takes about you know, 90 days or so. Right. Or sorry, not, you know, like a month or two. And so I started finding, trying to look for investors. And was like, man, like I got this great deal. I made up an offering in, um, in the, uh, an offering memorandum and for this property. Like I listed I out all the details. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to get you in on that yeah. too. Yeah. It was good. And, was, um, it, was, it was a clean package, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And the reason I got that is I talked to uh, Tim Kelly and he really helped out with uh, some of his own from his apartment buildings. Good. Um, gave me a pretty fresh, fresh uh, model to work with. So made that, did my research, uh, market research, found rents, found, uh, you know, other properties in the area that kind of looked like this, what they were renting for, the different amenities, 
Um, I talked about the, uh, you know, the potential, what the business plan was, all these different things in this package. Right. So uh, once I had that together, I started looking for investors. So, um, you know, when I first got it started, you know, get it, when I first got started, uh, I started looking at bigger pockets, like I said. And one of the things I did on bigger pockets was I started networking with different people. Um, I made a goal that I was going to meet one person on bigger pockets a day and connect with them. Right. And so I started with people that were local to me, um, you know, realist, re realtors, uh, investors, lenders, people, any really anybody who said they're in this area of Norfolk um, that were that were on bigger pockets. So drawing upon that, I started asking to talking to different people like, hey, you want to partner up? Do you want to do kind of a, a, a debt equity type thing? Do you want right. to be like a passive investor? Um, and actually, I uh, ran into a guy who was a uh, class of 16. Uh, from the academy uh, on, on bigger pockets, um, and we had, it turns out we had a lot of mutual friends. Um, he was an All Intel right. guy here in the area. Outstanding. And, uh, yeah, I uh, had him over uh, for coffee. Uh, we talked through the deal, and he was like, "Yeah, man, I'm in." So there's there's my That's first it. investor. There it is. That was your first investor, man, over yeah. some coffee and some networking. Yeah. That is what I'm talking about, man. Listen, guys, easy as easy as peasy, right? I mean, you set your goal. You figure out how to do it, you establish your, your steps, and you tack it every single day, man. Phenomenal, dude. I love it. Guys, I'm telling you, massive action, bro. Massive <laughs> action. This is the guy that is showing you how to do it. I mean, eight units in six months, you can totally do it. It's not that hard. You just got to figure out how you're going to do it, set your goals, and then do it. Anthony, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Bro, listen, we're running out of time, man, but yep. I've got so much more that we can talk about. Uh, I want to take you in our bonus round real quick so we can we can finish it out. But, sure. dude, phenomenal, man. Like, I love the value that you put in on here because, you know, it's just incredible seeing you from where you started to where you are now and how, like, amazingly on fire you are with real estate, bro. It seriously warms my heart. So this is I, awesome. I appreciate it. <laughs> dude, all right. I got three questions for you, bro. All right. All right First it. one. What's your favorite book? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'd just say my favorite book is probably The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Nice. Um, I could see that. And yeah, and we t and we talked about this a couple of weeks yep. ago. But uh, so I, when I first heard about this book, I wasn't too keen on it. It's like this sounds like very new age. Like you know, you got to meditate and think about yourself and you know, and visualize yourself being in this position, this super successful, awesome person. It's like, right. that sounds like a lot of, like a lot of hokey stuff. And so I read it through the first time. I was like, okay, you know, like, yeah, you know, I'll start kind of doing some of this stuff. I kind of did it half-heartedly. Like I would, I would scribe sometimes and right. meditate sometimes, you know, and then I kind of kept going through it. I didn't think about it. I stopped doing that stuff. And then I read it again. Um, and I was like, wow, like, He's making a lot of good points. Like, why didn't I, why didn't I pick this up before? You were ready and to so, listen to him. And then, yeah. and I started doing more. I started, mm -hmm. I started doing the savers for a little bit and then I got busy and it kind of fell off again. Then I read it for a third time. And that is the kicker. That's when I was like, wow, like these guys, I, I specifically read uh, miracle morning for millionaires. I was like, there's so many examples of people who spend their time doing the savers which is uh, stands for silence, affirmations, visualization, um, exercise, reading, and scribing or journaling, right? And who swear by doing this every single morning, right? And since I started doing them, um, I'm on day 20, I think now, of consistently doing it. Good. I have been the most productive that I have been in my whole real estate career 
for the past six months. Man, <laughs> to Your entire you know, real estate career, bro. I'm good. Yeah, like, like that's seriously. Awesome, though. Though. Seriously, that's good. That's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, but yeah, Miracle Morning by far. And if you haven't read it, read it now. It will change. Bro, that is awesome. Guys, definitely go grab it. There will be a link to it in the show notes page. It's Anthony's book. Phenomenal, man. I love it. All right, number two. Who's your biggest hero and why? Biggest hero. Um, so I was kind of going back and forth on this, uh, listening to different podcasts. I kind of knew it was coming. Um, so back when I was at the academy, I uh, I got in a little bit of trouble. Um, and I thought I was going to get kicked out, actually. And turns out I didn't. I just got in a, in a ton of trouble. had to stand a lot of restriction. Got a lot of demerits. And um, I thought I was going to ruin my career. I thought I was going to be, you know, this was going to define the rest of my life. And uh, we had uh, Michael Mullen come talk uh, at a uh, Forest Hall, which is uh, a guest lecture that we have occasionally. Yeah. Who, uh, if you guys don't know him, he's the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, awesome guy, Navy guy, Navy Admiral. You know, the highest levels of, of success. And uh, what really stuck with me is he was talking about his life and when he was an ensign, and uh, he hit a buoy. Uh, uh, I think it was like in his first year of uh, of being a swell, qualified swell, hit a buoy, which is a big, big don't know. Yeah, yeah, and, right, you uh, don't want to hit a buoy. You don't want to hit yeah. in the water, right? Let alone that. And so he thought, but the point is, he thought he was going to define his life. And you know, you know, he went from hitting a buoy and th- thinking his career was going to be ruined to being a four star admiral. I was like, wow, like I can't yeah. let this get me down. This is not going to yeah. define me. And so that kind of that stuck with me since then. That uh, you know, this this guy can can basically pull himself up by his bootstraps and not let that one defining moment completely find the rest of his life you know dude i love him man michael mullen michael mullen all right phenomenal dude all right guys uh last question all right here it is three nuggets of wisdom for those who are getting started this is going to be powerful yeah all right uh yeah so the the first one i'll say is you got a network you got a network um you know whether it's bigger pockets going to meetups meeting people on adpi um you know there's a whole bunch of websites out there, a whole bunch of resources out there to, to just meet people, right? But right. you got to get face-to-face with people, right? you got to get face-to-face because that's where the deals are. That's where the money is. Mm-hmm. That's where the lessons are to be learned, right? And you're never going to get that if you don't go out and actually find people. You don't go out and talk to people. You know, share your experience, hear their experiences, take in their lessons, right? So networking is key. Now, if, if I just stayed in my shell and stuck with Navy for the rest of my life, you know, I, I can make a 20 year career out of this and I, and I wouldn't be talking to the infamous Mike Foster on his podcast. <laughs> Man, get out of here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, so that's my first piece of, uh, of, uh, advice is, is networking. Second is branding yourself. You know, branding. I, I never really thought about this, like selling yourself, marketing yourself. Like, you know, I just thought about, yeah, your, your, your deeds, your actions will, will sell for you. You know, they'll, they'll speak for you. But like, there's a ton of investors out there. There's millions of investors in the whole country, right? And they're all doing the same exact thing as you, so right? True. All trying to find a deal, all trying to find money, right? Mm-hmm. So what makes you different? What makes you special? How, why should someone invest in you? Why should someone bring you a deal, right? And a call comes back to branding, right? So branding yourself, making yourself known. So starting a company, getting that name out there, getting business cards out there, looking professional, you know, uh, writing for a blog. So here, for example, uh, how I brand myself, we uh, started a company, Pencil Capital Investments, uh, mainly focusing on uh, multifamily acquisitions and apartment buildings, um, mainly in the Hampton Roads area, but we're expanding into the uh, North Carolina Triad, Kansas City, and Philadelphia, 
right? And, you know, and if I had thought, you know, I was just going to do this with starting an LLC here and there and just kind of do it on my own. No, no, man, you got to brand yourself. You got to tell yourself that people yes, do so. Yes, right. Another way to do that is uh, starting a blog. Right. Mm -hmm. So I uh, actually uh, launched it today. Uh, my wife and I just right right before we came on here, just launched our, our first blog. Um, it's called uh, uh, Rookie Real Estate. And um, it's basically geared at the first time investor. Right. Love and um, the whole point of it is it, it's the purpose is kind of twofold. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, information out there that's free, that's paid. And it's just like it's really hard to get started and stay focused and, and know where to even begin with all the stuff that's out there. And so I kind of want to have a resource where I kind of set through my life. So starting from, you know, that, that fateful day on that submarine. So, you know, it's months ago to where we are now and that whole journey. Is. Right. There and then is. second is, you know, there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of interviews that talk about really successful people, you know, and how they got to this pinnacle success and how awesome they are, you know, and how they take massive action and stuff. But there's not a lot about like, you know, that the tenant that sued you for a million dollars that you had to have thousands of dollars in legal fees. Right. There's not a lot about this natural disaster that happened that you went and that took out half your, your cash flow for the year. Right. So there's not a lot of those negative stories, not a lot of those nightmare stories. Right. You know, and I don't want and I, you know, and the, and the reason I say this is because I thought this, too, is like I had rosy glasses on when I was thinking about real estate. It's like, oh, man, tax benefits, the cash flow, passive income. Like I could be financially free in three years. You know, that's all I focus on. Right. Right. And if right. I heard right. About these, these nightmare stories that things that go wrong, the things I could have, have learned and thought about before I got into this. You know, for so for example, like my Carver property, the triplex, we've had nothing but issues for what was supposed to be a, tur a, a turnkey property. Oh my gosh, we had stolen appliances, we had termites, we had tree damage, uh, had sloping floors, uh, we had uh, water heaters that were leaking. Like you name it, this happened to this property, right? And if if I ha if someone had told me about that, and someone told me that turnkeys could be like that, that you know this that that what the floor looks like right there is going to lead to this type of damage this amount of money in the future dude i probably wouldn't even got into that property Jeez, right man but that's why i want to save people money and time to try and figure that out right all right, right so all right so back to the whole point so branding yourself you gotta <laughs> brand yourself right um right. and then then the last thing last thing is you gotta you gotta understand and think about what is your dream right we can talk about money. We can talk about numbers. We can talk about the fact that 75% of all millionaires start with real estate. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's, those are lofty angles, right? Those are, you know, I can make $10,000 uh, in passive income, right? That's great. But it doesn't matter if you're not achieving your goals, if you're not happy, right? Amen. You, you know, you want financial freedom for a reason. You want to make this money in this passive income for a reason, right? So think about that. What is your reason? What is your dream? You know, because they're going to be hard days. Let me tell you, they're going to be hard days, right? They're going to be days that you thought, why did I even get into this, right? And knowing what your dream is and thinking about that and keeping it in the back of your mind, you know, even writing it down and looking at it every day, that is what's going to get you through the, the dark so time. True, that is what's going to get you through so the true. tons of money you're going to have to spend on properties, right? The hours, countless hours you're going to have to spend on, on, you know, all these repairs and tenant issues and stuff like that, right? So, you know, so let me ask you, Mike, what, what's your dream? <laughs> what's my dream, man? Yo, yep. my dream is to travel the world, right, with real estate 
and just to continue having cash flow coming in from my investments, but having that experience with folks that I can go out, travel new place, have a good time, invest in that country, and then move back, and then just I don't know, do something, inspire you young go, kids or something like that. Right there, you go. Yeah, and yeah, ultimate goal is not about the money. It's not about the numbers. It's about what your dreams are, man. It's about what your dreams are. It's about who you impact. It's about what you leave behind, right? I mean, nobody exactly. wants to have a blank obituary and ask yourself the same question, right? Where are you at now? What does your obituary say, right? Does it say that you have $10,000 a month coming in passive income from real estate? Probably not. No, you know, but whatever it is that you're trying to do, Anthony, I love it, man. I love it, yeah. dude. Fire me up, dude. Fire me up. Dude, this is good. <laughs> Bro, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for your time, man. I think that you definitely inspired a lot of folks there that are on the edge thinking about how they're going to get started, why they're going to get started, right? All that stuff. Um, you guys need to reach out to Anthony. Anthony, how can they get in touch with you, man? So uh, you can reach out to me at uh, my email. So it's uh, pinto.capital at gmail.com. Uh, or you can call me, you can text me. My number is uh, 913-710-8490. Ooh, or if you, right. uh, you want to hit me on Facebook, hit me up on ADPI. I'm on Start the Spark as well. There it is. All right, guys. You heard it from the man himself. Anthony, we appreciate your time, bud. Hey, thanks, Take, brother. Appreciate take it. Take Outstanding. That was an awesome episode. Thanks so much to our special guests and thanks to you for listening. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, make sure you go and do that. Or schedule a call with us by texting ADPI to 444-999 or checking out our website at www.activedutypassiveincome.com to find out how you can get started on your financial freedom journey today. I'll see you guys next week.